0: Welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens, a show about the history, traditions, and culture surrounding food from the Philippines. I'm your host, Nastasha Ali. breads that take their sweet, sweet time to rise, I have been waiting so patiently for this episode, and I'm so happy you're tuned in. Today we're going to talk about Philippine bread, biscuit, and bakery traditions with the authors of this book that talks about just that. That book is called Panaderia, and it's by authors Ami Uy and Jenny Aurelios, with recipes by Jill Zendike. the reasons I'm obsessed with this book is because, firstly, it's a book I would save in a fire, and also because I really, really, really wanted to come back into print. And admittedly, one of my goals for this episode is to show just how many of us want that. Because the thing to remember is that Panaderia, this isn't just a book. It's a snapshot in time of the Philippines and its people and the culture. And how the bakery goods that people consume tell us so much about the traditions and the history and how Filipino people live. In other words, you get to learn about the food ways of the Philippines. The food ways are these like delicious sensory experiences that you have when you travel someplace and experience what the food tastes like, and more importantly, how local people there have and build their relationship with that food. I know I'm not the only one who finds the scent of freshly baked goods wafting around, like, super comforting. To me, it's like this warm hug that wraps around you. And, I mean, with how most of us are living our lives these days, I'll take any hug I can get. And if you want a hug, friend, here's one for you. (laughs) Maybe a bit much, but I guess the reason behind, or one of the reasons that pandemic baking has just become so popular is because of that, that, that feeling of comfort and home that you get from something that bakes in the oven for 20 minutes to upwards of several hours. Anyway, I like to think it's this process, this ability for us to take an active part in what we're doing and what we're cooking. That particular aspect of baking, I think, it not only physically, but like emotionally and spiritually sustains you. I know it does for me. And in cultures around the world, this idea of breaking bread essentially means sharing a meal and a connection with the people around you, and the people who you choose to be around. And because I can't really get to a panaderia easily, I don't know about you, <laughs> today we're also going to hear from a food editor from The Kitchen, Amelia Ramp, about making sourdough sal at home, and also with Tina from Egg Marks the Spot about what actually happens in the oven while we're baking up a batch of ensaymada. And finally, for my friend Maria, who serves one of her favorite panaderia treats, the classic pan de coco, to customers across the US. Let's get to it.
1: I'm Annie Oy. you can also call me Amy. (laughs) Um, Jenny and I met. In 2008, we were both winners in the Doreen Fernandez Food Writing Awards. And the topic during that year was merienda. I wrote about lapas uh, bachoy, which is a noodle dish, noodle soup dish from Bacolod. And um, that noodle dish usually came with a bread called pande and I was uh, third place and Jenny won second place for, a, for something that you wrote on another bread-based merienda dish. It's, it's boudin, called budin, or it's like a pudding. So that's how we first met. And then later on, you both were contributors to Food Magazine, um, working under our editor, Mickey Phoenix. She's a columnist, she writes about food in the countryside, and she was one of the proponents of Doreen Fernandez Food Writing Awards. So from then on, I started writing about food. I wrote uh, for Food Magazine, Metro Magazine, and um, there's this online magazine called Jimmy News Online. And I used to handle part of the uh, food stories for that online newspaper. So for Food Magazine, we were both contributing uh, articles and then we would s- usually see each other during, one- during the events of Food Magazine. And it was, I think, at one of the events that we sat together and talked about maybe writing a book together. That's, um, that's how I remember how we began to collaborate on, um, on a book. But at that time, we had no idea what type of book it was going to be.
0: Next, we're going to hear from Jenny Aurelios.
2: That's how we met, actually. She sat next to me at the Doreen Fernandez Food Writing Awards. And I remember that her name in my uh, phone is DGF, Ami Uy. (laughs) I think I asked her (laughs) for her number that night. So from then on, we yeah, that's true. We were able to work together at Food Magazine sometimes. We actually exchange assignments. Sometimes when Amy's not available, she passes on the assignment to me and vice versa. There was this instance, I think um, um, our editor assigned to interview uh, Jill Sandike about panaderia breads um, because she used to have a class there, a workshop. And then Amy couldn't make it. She told the editor, maybe you can ask Jenny. And then, so from then on, I remember exactly how Annie and I got together for the book. So she emailed me one oh, yeah. <laughs> summer. I don't know. It was, I think, May 2012 or something like that. Yeah, yeah She, she, that she had this very long email uh, telling me that uh, um, well, we've been writing about food for a while. Can we do a, a bigger project, like perhaps a book? Um, during that time, we still didn't have any um, topic yet, so we were uh, we, we got together and then we listed, we brainstormed on what we could write about. The first topic that came uh, about was kakanin, but I told her that I think Nikki Fenix and her team were doing a similar book, so I said, why don't we um, write about Filipino breads since I've already made, I think, two articles on bread. So I'm very interested to learn more about that. So from then on, we gathered a, little, a small team of people we have worked with before. We have Mickey Phoenix uh, to be our editor. She said yes. And then Jill Sandike to help us with the recipes. Uh, shows. So And then also, she, she became our resource person for about bread making actually, and she also said yes. (laughs) And then um, our photographer was Saeed David, also from Food Magazine. So we chose people that we have worked with previously. So um, the camaraderie was there already, the familiarity was there. And then from then on, we planned for this project, not necessarily a a big, I mean, we went went about it in a, Piece by piece, kind of way. Actually, the the biggest concern there was the logistics, because here we are, two food writers embarking on a a big project, going around the Philippines to visit all these bakeries. We're not bakers, we're not teachers or anything. We, we just we were just food writers, and we love to eat. So I we were hoping that that would be enough for the meantime. to to give us the credibility to um, write about a book on Filipino breads.
0: One of my favorite things about the book is really the profile on the different bakeries because that just isn't something that exists in any other resource. And um, I just want to dial it back a little, I guess, and ask if you could share with us uh, where you had grown up uh, and what role, like, I mean, at this point, I guess it's very safe to establish that um, breads are a big part of your lives. But <laughs> I was just wondering, like, when you were growing up, like, what was the role of the panaderia in your life,
1: then and today? First, we'll hear from Amy. Uh, yes, the panaderia is very much a part of life growing up in, in the city. Uh, like, I grew up in Quezon City in a well, middle-class community in Cobao. And uh, like most places around the Philippines or in Manila, there's always a neighborhood bakery at the corner. So my mom usually would send, us, send me to buy breads either there at the corner bakery or in some bakery down the street. And I used to hate buying breads. <laughs> because I was I was too white, I was too fair. Um for like a I wasn't normal because you know like most Filipinos have brown skin and I was like fairer than most. And the kids would usually look at me while I was walking down the street and they would tease me and call call me like there's this commercial back then for a detergent. And the slogan for that um, product then was like, nakakasilaw na puti. And so <laughs> every time, ta- sorry, that the, in, in English, that's like, like you're like blinded by all the whiteness. So every time I would walk down the street, the kids would, would um, uh, tease me and say, wow, nakakasilaw na puti. <laughs> and, and so I would just go to the bakery, buy the breads and go back. To the house and run to the house so I really didn't like buying breads but I loved the breads and my mom would usually make uh, me pandesal with um, palaman as my baon or my snack for recess so um, I really grew up eating pandesal and not so much the new breads that we see in the panaderias these days but the pandesal was really uh, like a staple for me. And it was, um, well, my favorite because it was usually my baon to school. And I would see the other children, the other, um, my, my classmates, they would usually bring sandwiches as baon. The one with the um, thick sliced breads with uh, whatever paliman peanut butter or something. And well, I'm not sure if that, Really meant something like if they were richer than me because I had like pandesal and they had uh, sandwiches, but I really just stuck to my pandesal as my baon. The corner bakeries then were at the time I grew up uh, like in the 70s, I'm much older than Jenny, and I remember also eating the pandesal from those hot pandesal bakeries.
0: I just want to take a minute here because the idea of hot pandesal is worth pointing out, I think, even if you're listening to this in Manila today. My generation, I grew up in the 90s, we grew up with supermarkets, and even in the neighborhood bakeries, I don't remember that buying pandesal was ever an issue. You could buy them at the SM Megamart, at the bakery that was right beside the tricycle terminal, you could buy them at 7-Eleven, you could buy them any time of the day. But I kind of like to think that, you know, in the same way that it's hard to imagine life today without being able to order food from a delivery app on your smartphone. Some time ago, and not really that long ago, there was a time when simply getting a bag of pendicelle that meant trooping out to a bakery before you did
1: anything else with your day. That was a pretty popular, like it was a craze back then. That um, you can buy pandesal at any time of the day because years back, you couldn't buy pandesal. Um, you, only, you can only buy it at the bakery at like 5 a.m. and around 7 a.m., they would run out. But the hot pandesal bakeries were all over, and you can buy breads anytime. It was like a breakthrough for, for Filipinos at that time. So I'm not sure if Jenny ever experienced that. (laughs) But that was one of the big things I
2: I experienced growing up. Well, I grew up in Manila as well. Um, But unlike Ami, my parents did not send me out to buy bread. It was actually my grandfather, my lolo. He would be the one uh, to go out early as 5 a.m. because that's, that's the time that you get hot pandesal. I don't. I don't remember any hot pandesal. army, the ones that in the 70s, <laughs> I wasn't born. Uh, I was born in the but through the end of the 70s. Um, but I do remember my my grandfather bringing home pandesal, and I would be excited. Around 6 a.m., I would be awake, and there would be there would be butter, and the, which we put on the still warm pandesal, and then before that, of course, uh, the the bakers would or the sales people would would wrap the pandesal in this brown paper bag. They wrap it and then they rotate it like that to seal the bag. So those were the childhood memories that I've had of um, breads, Filipino breads, especially pandesal.
0: One of the things that um, obviously I I would like to discuss and bring up as well is uh, the culture surrounding Panaderia and the bakeries themselves. I guess just for contrast to kind of, um, I don't know, show like a little timeline. So by the time I was growing up in in Manila also in Parañaque in the 90s no time na yon and Pande Manila started um, really franchising uh heavily so what I remember is when they first opened their branch in um in Bf Homes, uh dun sa uh, there's if you go on to Suhat and then there's kind of the entrance into Bf Homes, there was the Pande Manila there and um that was my first introduction to like really nice like uh, pandasal potok and like just the you know, magandang quality na na pandasal. When I was going to school, like my baon would typically be Pullman bread. So white bread with um, pimiento cheese, that was usually my like go-to. But it's it's really interesting because even as we're talking about it right now, these food memories are so almost like entrenched into our, in our collective memories and in our, our minds. And um, from there, actually, I want to talk about your approach. So um, when you started kind of assembling the people you wanted to work with on your team, logistics, and being able to, to plan uh, your itinerary, I guess um, was kind of, the desire to visit the the bakeries themselves, that's kind of what you started with. And then.
2: Oh, okay. So um, we actually began with uh, an outline, a working outline. So we had this section on bread history in the Philippines. And then here, right. The, the ones on the products because we wanted to highlight each of those aspects. So we have history and then we have the products. So there's, There's a section for pandesal and sandwich loaves and all that from breads to biscuits to cakes and pastries. And then finally, the last section or the the second to the last section um, features all of these bakeries because we actually wanted to um, highlight the differences, the similarities between bakeries because uh, that's, how you, that's how we wanted to document it. So um, we began with an outline, and then we worked from there. We relied on our backgrounds as feature writers, as food writers. And then uh, in a way, by going through all of these bakeries, all of these panaderia, you're, you're doing some kind of an anthropological approach, because you're, going, you're doing some sort of field work.
0: And this, in my opinion, is really what sets apart Amy and Jenny's book from anything else in the market. The way that they describe their visits to these bakeries from all over the Philippines, they talk about what the shop looks like and what it smells like heavenly, I presume, how it sounds with people who are like walking around and ordering stuff, and what the breads and the biscuits and pastries actually taste like. They have things like descriptions of the crumb that is on certain cakes and how much icing there is, how they're packaged and what they look like for wholesale versus like in shop. It's just amazing and honestly I think it's the closest that a lot of us are probably going to get to such a wide variety of Philippine breads all in one place. I'm already learning so much. As Jenny
2: says, what we do is that we, of course, we talk to the owners first and then we do our interviews and then they allow us to go inside the bakeries. Especially, I actually like the ones where we were able to enter bakeries with pugon or wood-fired ovens because that's a very um, rare thing these days. So the pugon, as
0: described in the book, is essentially this wood-fired oven with a chamber made of stone or clay, and in traditional panaderias, or bakeries, Amy and Jenny say they're typically found towards the back of the bakery. And though most commercial places in the Philippines today, they use gas-powered ovens, there are still a few that stick to using the traditional pogon. However, as Jenny says, they're becoming rare. And the bakeries, the panaderias, that do keep them, you have to know they keep them for a reason.
2: Most of the pugons we found uh, were from the regions from the provinces. Uh, there are just just a handful of that in Metro Manila. Um, just to backtrack, in terms of logistics, we talked to Mickey, Mickey Phoenix. Um, we asked her first, um, "Do you know somebody from this place and that place?" So we had like a short list of those places. I know that we we will not be able to cover all of these places. Like, there are actually provinces where we were not able to um, go to. uh, Like, some of the ones in Region 2, the ones in Zamboanga. So, uh, both for the lack of time and the the resources, of course. So, we started with who we knew. So, um, Miss Nikki was able to connect us with those uh, with people from those places and then i think we began also um going to panaderias in manila so so that's that's how we uh, did it so it's not um chronological order kind of thing so we started with what we had already uh, on hand so from there it it kind of um expanded to other provinces other people who knew someone who knew who connected us with this one so it, it also it also helps if you know other people <laughs> yeah, right. especially in the industry yeah, yeah yeah sino yung kakilala mo may kakilala ka doon because that will give you ano eh, like uh, like uh, the susi or the key to get into that community right. to be acquainted with them Oh, la o oh, sige. So they welcome us into their bakery. So it kind of, uh, like, uh, it, it melts the ice of some sort like that. Uh, so there.
1: Yeah. We, we, at first, we thought it was going to be uh, like a walk in the park. For me, at least, I thought it was going to be a very easy book to do. Because, um, you know, you just go through the breads uh, in a panaderia and just write about, like, what is pandesal? What is uh, like Spanish bread or ensaymada or Monai? So it started that way. And then all of a sudden, we began categorizing the breads under uh, rolls and then um, loaves, flavored breads and things like that. So uh, what started as a like an easy project became a little more complicated <laughs> as we went along. Because Mickey would um, say, "Oh, there's this bread that I saw in Ilocos. It's called biscotto pasukin. We have to go there." And then there's this Iloilo Ilo has a lot of breads that we have to to, to taste and to see. Um, and then Jill would also uh, recall she's from uh, Cotabato, Kitapawan, and she would say, "There's there are breads that are that we can only find in our place." So that was one of our first trips, actually, to her place in Cotabato, in Kitapawan, uh, because they owned a bakery there. And uh, Jay was saying, no other bakery will allow us to see bread making uh, like we can in our bakery. So we had to fly <laughs> to her place. We stayed there for uh, three days, I think, or three or four days, just Observing uh, how it is to make bread in 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 a real bakery setup, and then the the project just expanded because we wanted to feature like bakeries in Luzon, Batangas. What does it have that is not found in Manila? Like the pandeago, you can only find it there, or the Boneta, you can find it there. And Cavite has its own, like bowling or Bonete, and Bulacan also has its own. And, of course, the, the bakeries in the Visayas, like in Bacolod, in Ilocos, in, in Cebu, they each have their own types of uh, breads and biscuits. Actually, it was just breads at the start. And then Mickey said, why don't we just include all the biscuits? Because they're there anyway, yeah and, right, yes, that's true. That's so true. so in my mind, I was saying we, we only when we when we started this project, we were just talking about breads, and do you know how many biscuits there are in the country? So that was and then it expanded to the cakes. So we were not really prepared for like how huge the project or the book was going to be at the start. And of course, the logistics of going there, like Jenny said, we had to look for a person there. And usually there's a food advocate uh, assigned to a place. And that's, that person was the one who would lead us to all the bakeries or to all the places where we can uh, check out breads or bakeries or whatever. And Nikki was also uh, an important part of that because she knew all these people. Because she worked with them for um, Food Magazine and all of the articles in her column. So she was really um, more than an editor. She's like our guide, our mentor, everything. So we were just like following her lead all the time.
0: want to go back to one aspect um, that I guess we were already talking about here and that's the cultural aspect of these establishments of having a neighborhood panaderia of having the place where people almost religiously um, go to perhaps not as much anymore these days but definitely um, in the past and that's that's become a very big part of like Filipino food traditions just in general. Um, So I wanted to go and and talk about um, that anthropological approach, anthropological approach, um, that as I mentioned to you in the email, I I really appreciate kind of seeing because there's things like you were saying where the panaderia itself is located. So if you are down in the Visayas, um, I finally had the chance to go to Panaderia de Mola. Uh, last year because uh, I visited my friend who lives in Iloilo and we were just like, you know, checking the the shelves and like the stuff that they had and these um, one of the things too that I really enjoy and that you highlight in the book is just the different names that are given to these, these breads and these biscuits um, which really kind of reflect the, the personality of Filipino people in general, uh, you know, we're very humorous, um, kind of like fun-loving. So th- those things that are kind of like, I can imagine like who goes into the bakery, um, you know, what they buy, whether their, their tastes, uh, whether a bakery typically leans more towards like sweet stuff or like some bakeries have become really known for my savory pastries. So it's... I don't know, like, I just say all this because one of the things that has also stuck with me from a previous interview I did is that I I was talking to somebody about how relationships are really at the core of Filipino culture and life and, like, whether it's relationships in the sense of like people you know na, may kakilala ka. or if you know somebody then that'll make it a lot easier for us to well not even easier but then that's your your foot in the door you're going to be able to uh, ask people um, about how certain things are made and then there's the relationship part of like um, even when you're back at home like sitting down with your lolo and like buttering your pandasal um, so that I guess I'm saying all this because even though this book, in particular, for example, is about the bakery, like at the heart of it, it's really about the the relationships too that like Filipino people are able to celebrate through through food and through bread, I guess, in in and biscuits and cakes in, in this way. Uh,
1: so I just wanted to kind of like say that part before. <laughs> Well, now that you mentioned it, I realized that the book is not just like a food book. It's also like a travel book of sorts because it takes you, it brings you all around the Philippines. The way we experienced, Jenny and I went around the Philippines. Like it was my first time to go to vegan. It was my first time to visit all of these places. So originally the the, tra- the bakery part the, the featured feature stories on the bakery they were actually longer but we had to cut the the, the story short because of um, well we had to conform to a specific specific number of pages for the book but they were originally written like a, as a travelogue of sorts like uh, there's a backgrounder on what this place is what it's famous for, or where it is, and then that's the time that we go into the story about the panaderia and the breads. So, I think um it's a really more of like a food and well, Philippine travel book mm-hmm. in in a sense. I saw it that way. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the way those blogger, travel bloggers would feature a place like Iloilo or Cavite or or albay or naga and then go into what is it famous for what can you eat here uh what are the popular snacks or whatever so it's really more of a food and travel uh, kind of book
2: what's also interesting is that um that section on the bakeries informed the rest of the section so um, there were things that we could also expand on. Uh, like, for example, we visited uh, Iloilo and all of that. We got, we got to taste pandesal that's salt, that's really salty or bland. I mean, not that the sweet type. So those information we also um, put into the section on the bread. So it, So each section actually is integrated, is interconnected with the other. So, so that I, I believe that it, it gives it a, a certain um, expansiveness or some sort of depth to it rather than just like a, a travel of, of that sort. But of course, it's also important to provide context because each region, each, um, each place has their own uh, tradition.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, from there, I guess I want to go into some of some of the treats that maybe have stuck in your head. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a very broad question. If I just go like, what was your favorite panaderia treat? (laughs) But like maybe for example, like um, so even just as we're talking about some of these places that you had visited uh, first visited in Vigan or um, had uh, seen a lot more of in the Visayas, um, I guess from your perspective too, like what were some of those like, goods uh, or products that you were surprised about, um, not just because it wasn't something that you grew up with, but like but, um, when you started learning more about like either the origin story or like what ingredients had gone into it, things that like kind of stand out, I guess, um, to, to you as you were um, embarking
2: on the, the research. Ah, okay, Muna. okay. Uh, <laughs> memorable story so um first is that i remember uh, we went to pampanga i was surprised that each of the the main towns that we went to um we we keep on um encountering ensaymada all the time i mean there there were a lot of ensaymada makers out there and their version is very rich very like Large and buttery and filled with cheese, so I think that was the pro- one of the provinces where we got a little bit fatter. You know, we gained a little <laughs> more weight because of all the panatansaymad that, that that we had to I know. taste for research purposes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Ten <pounds>. um, yes. <laughs> I, I and, 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 and I remember because there's this interesting technique that they do. Um, because the, the traditional ensaimada, I think, has all of these layers. Like, uh, how do I connect? I think like a brioche or like a pastry with a, a flaky pastry, but soft. So, to get that, one of the bakers or one of the older bakers in uh, Pampanga would use a stick. So, you flatten the dough and then you get a stick, put it on the Surface of the dough, and then you roll it like that. So in doing so, you create some sort of like a, a crevice inside, and then you pull it out, and then you 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 braid it in the uh, ensaimada style. So we were like, wow, that's that's different, because other other uh, ensaimada makers don't do that. So that I think those little techniques that they don't teach you in pastry school. I mean, those are the techniques that these bakers were able to um, um, invent or, I mean, use on their own. There's also another interesting thing is that, um, especially with the older bakeries, in baking, you have all these exact measurements, so by by grams, by by weight and all that. Uh, There were actually bakeries that are, or bakery, Maestro panadero. That's how that's how they call the the master bakers. Um, they they told us that in the past, there's, there's always that they begin the sentence with Alam Uh, We would use all of these. Uh, you take an evapor a can of evaporated milk. You, of course, it's already clean. They use it as a measuring cup. So okay, um I'm gonna put in uh, this amount of flour and then we have to use this uh, lata ng gatas or uh, like a liver spread, the small one. We put it, kailangan ganito para, ano, <laughs> it's the exact same thing. So, yes, those were the measuring tools. And it, it was, we found that uh, some of the older bakers re- were reluctant to part with it. But in baking, you have to be, ano, know eh, you have to be exact, eh. So, and it was funny because there was, there were still older bakers who insist on yeah, they do grams, they do weigh the, the 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 ingredients, but they use um they still use some of the evaporated milk can to weigh it in. Is that to put that- it in the ganta
0: ganta is the can can you just uh, i guess go over like what some of those like measurements were and what they corresponded with they, in terms of
2: um, actually they, it's not there's no strict um uh, measurement for that okay it's like a you know the filipino way of, um, of tancha tancha of some sort mm-hmm. but here you have all these cans. so pag nawala yung can lagot <laughs> <laughs> so you have to have a backup so anyway, uh, and then there's this pitcher na kalaki na ano, oh, gan- And it's usually ganito, color green.
1: <laughs> the pitcher is usually color green. We yes. don't know why.
2: So so, so so it's so interesting. You have this, you have, they have weighing scales and then they have the pitcher and then the evaporated milk can. So I, I don't think, uh, I think it's, it's common in most of the bakeries especially the older ones. That's, mem- that's memorable for me.
1: I distinctly remember the Biscocho Pasukin. That's the one, that's the bread that's, uh, that can only be found in this place called Pasukin. It's a town in Lawag where we went to, uh, when we went around Ilocos, uh, Ilocos Norte. And I remember calling the owner of the bakery from Manila, well, I was setting up a visit uh, over to the bakery, um, and she kept on interrupting uh, her uh, the way I would, the, the way we we were talking to each other because busloads of tourists would uh, be parking in front of her bakery, and all of the tourists would come and buy breads. So I was really curious even before going there. What uh, was so special about that um, bread? And it's called Biscocho. So I was thinking it might be like this uh, crispy Biscocho, the one with a that's like crunchy. But when we finally got there, the Biscocho Pasukin was actually a soft bread that's like, um, like, like rolled like a croissant, but it's not. And the really um, memorable thing about that bread is that uh, when you enter the, the place where it's being baked, you would smell uh, anise. It's a strong scent of anise that uh, that would meet that would greet you. So we didn't know if they really uh, used anise, but uh, I figured they they really did. And uh, the biscotto pasukin is actually that type of bread. So what you do with it is like you unfurl it like a croissant. And then you, you put whatever spread you want, like there's uh, cheese pimiento or cheese whiz or uh, peanut butter or liver spread. They would sell that um, in the bakery and you would go um, and you can uh, spread whatever uh, whatever you like on the, on the bread that's unfurled. And then you, you just roll it back and then eat it. But the other way that um, that bread is actually sold is like, it's really a biscotto, which is like crispy. So, and then what they do is they take out the crumb of the bread, it's, the crumb is separated from the cover, and the, they actually have names for the crumb and the cover. I just don't know which is which now, but the um, it's an Ilocano, the, the the crumb is called like, uh, there's an Ilocano term for the crumb, and then there's an Ilocano. It's the ukis,
2: honey. I, mean. ukis I the ukis? Yeah, but
1: I don't the know bal- which is
2: the bu. The, oh, the, okay. The, 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 the inner part is bugas. Bugas. Or bugas, yeah. I don't know. Bugas and, and then, then the, the ukis, ukis is the balat. The balat. The cover.
1: And then they would um, re-bake those parts and then sell them. Separately. So you can choose uh, I like all crumb or I like all uh, cover. And then um, those are both toasted when you eat them. And the funny thing was it, the that particular bread, the biscocho pasukin became so popular that there were even fake biscocho pasukin being sold on the buses, on the, on the buses coming from Lawag. But that's really one bread that I, I really would like to taste again. We don't even know if the bakery is still around actually because the, the owner at the time was like, she was 80 plus years old and she didn't know if her children were willing to to manage the bakery after she passed on. But and then we don't know what happened to the bakery. Uh, there was, uh, I think some news about it being closed or something. But that's really a, one of the most memorable uh, panaderia treats that I encountered during our research. And then another one um, that I would go back for is the bonete that we tasted. Uh, in Batangas. You know, in Batangas. Yes. There's this is this <laughs> really... I remember. Um, like, it's not a, man, a hole-in-the-wall place, but it was just right in the middle of the highway. It's like a bakery in the middle of the highway. And you could go park your uh, car in front of it. And then they would sell you this um, bonete uh, that's like uh, uh, the size of a, they were actually round, um, maybe an, an, uh, an inch and a half in diameter and then it's soaking in butter. <laughs> it's soaked in like, it's not naman soaking. but then you put the bread in the paper bag, in a brown paper bag, the bottom of the paper bag would get soaked with, with all the butter. But I think they used margarine because <laughs> it was salty. And then uh, it's like crisp, a little bit crispy on the outside. And then it was really very tasty. And I also uh, was able to taste that in, there's this uh, restaurant on top of um, the old ABS, uh, CBN building, uh, 9501 restaurant. It was a restaurant there that was run by Chef Mirna Sigismundo, and she's also from Batangas. She's actually the one who brought us to that bakery in, that street side bakery in Batangas. And when we were there, in, when I was there with Mickey and with um, Chef Mirna, she had her stash of that bonete bread with her. And I remember eating uh, eating the breads one after the other while they were talking. And then Chef Mirna saw me and said, you can go ahead and get all of, all of that. And then I put one pack in, inside my bag and ate it on my own. Uh, on the way home. So those are the two, th- th- those are the two most memorable bre- breads that I um, would really want to have a taste of, the pasukin bread and the bonete in Batangas. And of course, all the other breads that we tasted, like the Pandesal, the Spanish bread, uh, those are my favorites, really. One thing, just to kind of take it a
0: step Take a step back and look at kind of like the broader range of like bakery goods in the Philippines and even just the the art of baking the culinary art of baking um because it's because it's an, an outside um influence I guess is a is word I can uh one word to use for it um we don't have that like idea that the breads have to be, but there's a lot more leeway. There's a lot more people. I kind of get the feeling that Filipino people don't really care about the, um, what they care about more is that they have this ability to customize it, to, to be able to spread different fillings to your pandesal, like depending on how you want. So this is kind of like a very like generalized, like observation, but like a lot of like Philippine food, like I just find it interesting that these like baked goods um, at the end of the day, while they are kind of made by the panaderos, it's still like other Philippine food traditions kind of up to the person who's eating it to kind of customize it to your to your final like taste and, and preference. Um, so I just wanted to say something about that. And then the other thing too is um, that uh, just as you're talking about these different um, bakeries that you're able to visit and um, somebody handing you a bag of, of uh, buttery bonete <laughs> and you take it home, the the culture of Pasalubong and that being very central to what a lot of people go to panaderias for is something that I wanted to ask you both about because, um, again, it's one of those things that um, within the diaspora, especially, like, yes, people know what, Pasalubong is, but um, from your experience, I guess from from both of you, what are either like if if you had if people knew you were going someplace, um, what do you re- do you remember anything any time when people were like, oh, make sure you bring me home like this pasalubong, or like what are some of the best either either when you go to the bakeries, what are their best selling pasalubong items, and like. My other lead question to that is: Is that where the biscuits really come in handy? Because the the hardiness of the biscuits that can travel, that you can take with you when you're on like long road trips, um, I just wonder. Kung, I, I wonder if that's one of the things that really made biscuit such like a mainstay in in the bakeries in Panaderias because they know people
1: have to travel and take it home with them somewhere. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, I think each. Place or each um, province has its own pasalubong, and uh, like kezon, in Lubang kezon there's this uh, biscuit called broas, which I really love also. Uh, it's like lady fingers, I think. So yeah, the lady fingers? Um, and you can you, you can buy. Uh, buy them in cans, in like huge cans, the is quite thin, huge tin cans. So that's one of the uh, pasalubong biscuits that I remember. And then, um, of course, in Cebu, there's this bakery that's famous for its otap. It's called Shamrock, yeah. So I also like their otap very much. And of course, Panaderia de Molo has Ojaldres, and all of those um, Ilo-Ilo-Ilo-Ilongo biscuits. And they have a lot. Um, Jenny, do you remember any special pasaligo? Biscuit. Biscuit. Most of them are really biscuit, no?
2: Yeah, because the, Natasha is uh, correct because they travel well. <clears throat> Even in Baguio, you have the lengua de gato. You've tasted that. And then you have the alfajores. Also in Baguio, that is how, that's where I encountered that. But actually, so there, um, you have the pasalubong part of the bakery, and then you also have the the daily bread part of bakery. You see, um, you go to the bakery, if you're a local, you, don't, you, you go to a bakery for your daily staples like the pandesal and the loaf bread. And then if you're a visitor, you want to go buy pasalubong, you, you you go for the special ones so you see that that again the tradition that uh, that's at play there so the, it depends on who's buying also yeah
1: in Cebu I remember the torta
2: yeah you know torta. that's
1: very very well known for that that there's a special place in uh, this um place in Cebu that uh, is really famous for their torta which is made the traditional way. Um, That's a
0: Jesse Storta that you featured oh, in yeah, the Oh, yeah, book? yeah.
1: That's the one. That's the one. It's very memorable also. And I think there, yeah, it's not just biscuits. It's also the cakes and the breads. And of course, the ensaymada from Pampanga, which actually is not, not made in Pampanga anymore, but in Manila. <laughs> But the, the tradition of making the Kapampangan and Saimada uh, is still very much alive. In, 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 uh, and the tradition is carried on by the heirs of those who originally made them in Pampanga. Like the one of Imang Salud, which is being sold in uh, Makati, in one of those weekend um, markets. Yeah, that's the only place I think that you can get authentic Ensaimada these days because, and and Kapampangan Ensaimada these days. Because the other one, which we really like, is no longer around. The one of the Medina, Medina Ensaimada, they no longer make it. But that's also an authentic um, Kapampangan Ensaimada.
2: Oh, I also remember I also remember Uraro Cookies yung, the Arrow Root Cookies you, they, yeah they sell it in Bataan uh, Laguna those those places in different shapes oh, oh, marami diba there are actually a lot my
1: oh, my favorite also is the Lubid Lubid
3: <laughs>
1: the one of mahirap gawin <laughs> Yeah, mahirap gawin uh, because it's actually fried it's not baked it's fried but it's like a small, uh, tiny, uh, how do you say, little lubid, because it's rope right? in English. So it's twisted like a rope, but they make it very small in this bakery in Silay. And so uh, when you buy a pack of it, you, and it's very crunchy, when you buy a pack of it, it's like eating eating peanuts, so it's more like a snack than a. It's like a yeah, like a, a snack of nuts rather than like a bread or a biscuit.
0: Uh, I'm trying so I'm to remember when because say young trip y- 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 last year to. Uh, yeah, to Iloilo, I did Iloilo, Bacolod, and I stopped in Cebu for a few days. Um, and I did go to to Silay. It's El Ideal, right? El Ideal, yes. yeah. They, they have, have a lot, lot of biscuits. biscuits. Don. I yeah. remember I walked mm-hmm. in and there was just this this really
1: old aparador, and like right. all of their <laughs> all of their biscuits yeah. were in there. <laughs> I know. I like the they have this biscuit called Angel Angel cookies. Um, those are actually. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, they're the hosts, communion hosts, which are like um, broken and, and then um, dipped in sugar or something. And then so they're crunchy, but sweet. But they're actually the like the communion hosts. And that's why they call it angel cookies probably be. <laughs> because it, it, they're very similar to or they are actually the the ostia yeah the connection there
0: no i remember they had um yeah because i went in and i just mm. bought like some stuff that um i was with my friend so we bought a bunch of stuff and i think it was called senorita no, I, oh
2: yeah that's in i know
0: um yeah is that the, the one Indian. with like the layers and and the 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 filling with the filling oh my god it was so good I really wish I bought like some more of that because I was eating it we were eating it in the car and then the bag was gone and I was like I
1: should have bought some more
0: Like lately, I've been watching a lot of uh, of uh, GMA TV shows on YouTube because <laughs> they have it available there. And one of the ones I really enjoy is uh, the travel show called Drew, Um, uh hosted by Duran And he talks about he, he says that word a lot, "bakagis And so I was just asking my friends, like, do you guys know what this this means? And they were like, no. Uh, and so I, I I kind of explained to them that it's basically like what what you kind of have grown up with or what you have gotten used to while you you were growing up. And it kind of, I remember this word while you were talking uh, while you were both talking earlier about um, just like the, the Ensaimada, for example, and these tastes and you have these, um, you know, families who have had bakeries that became really popular in Pampanga and now in um, weekend markets in, Places like Manila, like sometimes you see them there, sometimes you don't, and like I don't know, it's just interesting because, parang the the resurgence almost of these um, of these very specific things, like a specific kind of ensaymada or a specific kind of of um, bonete or something, like it's interesting to me because I guess like the reason that people are looking for them in markets today or like people are requesting for these on Facebook or, you know, things like that is because they they had grown up with that taste and they're really craving it and they're looking for it. Um, so I guess I just wanted to to throw that question to to both of you and and ask that like for you, like what does what does it mean to have something na haggis nanmo? And do you think that this is like this might be a leading question, but I'm also curious because like younger generations of Filipinos, like my my younger cousins, um, like really they don't go to panaderias. They they don't. They have very little connection now, almost with a lot of these traditional breads because they're so exposed to like everything else that you find um, in the city. So in that sense, like, as like future generations grow up, kung like, what would the future of these like traditional breads be? And I mean, that's a very, sorry, this is a very kind of rambling question, but I just wanted to share that kind of from my perspective. And um, I guess wanted to see like what your thoughts are on, on that kind of idea that you have to have this thing that you grew up with, um, do you have to have a thing that you grew up with, something na nakagisnan,
1: in order for these traditions to survive? Yes, I, yeah, I think um, it's important to um, have something that reminds you of home, especially for those who are not, uh, for Filipinos who are out of the country. And that's, I think, why... Um, there has suddenly been a surge of interest in Philippine breads. But I, um, I think most or a lot of Filipinos growing up outside the country, even the young ones, I'm not sure if they are aware of the pandasal, if, they, if they've tasted it, if they know what it looks like, um, if they've had it around in, in their homes because when I stay with my uh, Filipino relatives like in the States, they don't normally have it. They they can't, yeah, it's hard to get. But it's also, it's, I think that's um, for Filipinos here at home, uh, like my children, they still know what types of breads they like to, to buy in a panaderia. So like my son would usually go for Spanish bread and pande coco, and things like that. And my daughter, naman, is a baker, so she, she and she really loves breads. So she, she would also try to bake. Uh, like during this um, lockdown, she she tried to bake her own Spanish breads because we couldn't get our hands on any, actually any type of bakery breads while we were in lockdown. So she had to bake them here at home. Um, so they actually, they grew up with um, with uh, knowing what breads are available in a panaderia, but um, probably the variety of breads that they know is not as much as like my generation knew. Uh-oh. But it's very important, I think, because um, that's that gives you a sense of belonging to like a community uh, or like even to the uh, with fellow Filipinos parang. If you know certain types of breads or if you know certain types of food, it really identifies you as a Filipino. it's like it, we're not the only ones or like that. Yeah, there's yeah. So I think in that sense, yes, um, it's very important to have something that you grew up with. And then um, when you're out of the country, it reminds you of your childhood, reminds you of good things back home.
2: I think um, in my case, naman, I think if you look at for example uh the ube cheese pandesal uh it's the rage right now right so it it's it's it gives you some sort of um time frame or parang this is the the year or the period of, of the ube cheese pandesal so it gives you that uh parang in ami's time it was the hot pandesal of the 70s. So in in our children's time right now, it's the ubi cheese pandesal. Um, so, it, so those types of breads or, or variations actually kind of uh, function like a historical marker of some sort, an edible marker of sorts. But then underneath all of those um, or at the center of those variations of the pandesal. So you have the Milo pandesal, whatever pandesal. There's, there's the, the sweet pandesal even. We we're deviating already from the, the, the core of what a pandesal is uh, in our last time. It used to be bland. It used to be a whole lot more salty. But salty. Um, the core of all these variations is that traditional pandesal. So it's okay that uh, our children know the Uve pandesal and all those things, but it's also important to know um, that that traditional uh, kind of pandesal because um, yun yung pinagmulan kumbaga. That's the kanagisnan part. So that's the that's like the base that will give you uh, a sort of an identity, uh, like an identity um, because it's very Filipino eh, the pandesal. So but then again uh we have also to um take into consideration the context of uh, the pandesal in some places like in the US probably or in ca- in Canada they make pandesal in a certain way that's different from from how we how our panaderos make it here in the Philippines because um the panaderos here have their own techniques have their own gadgets or like uh, for example, uh, if, if you're looking at the traditional pandesal, it, it usually has these um, pointed edges. You get that by using the wooden cutter. So you you roll the dough into a baston, like a cane, and then you cut it with a wooden cutter. And then you put the the dough cut side up in the pan. So that's how you get that uh, distinctive sinket, uh mark. That's how they call it. Um in the, in Canada in, in in other parts of the world you don't have access to the wooden cutter so what do you use the metal type or the even the knife you don't even actually some some bakers don't even bother to do the baston anymore they just round it up so there are different shapes already of the pandesal so for me if I grew up in that context that is my pandesal as different to my Lola's pandesal before. So there's like a historical marker of some sort. If you look at how the shape of breads changes and how the breads change through the years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope I make sense.
0: No, they no, they do. I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm really mind blown because um, it's, it's true. Um so I wanted to end this by talking briefly about cakes. What types of cakes have kind of been the mainstays like in your family? Um, and I'll just uh, leave it at that. Like what's the, per- if you can share like a personal memory that's attached uh, to a particular cake and what that uh, means to you.
1: Mm, for me, I I think my favorite one um, is the mocha cake. Ever since I was a kid, I really love mocha cakes. Yeah, the one that's like um, soft and like a chiffon cake. And then there's like a a slather of mocha um, on top. Mocha icing on top. Yeah, buttercream. It's very simple, but it has like that mm, slightly coffee taste uh, to it. And um, another... I, lo- I loved uh, mocha cakes for my birthday when I was a kid. And then, um, well, right now, my daughter bakes all of the cakes in our family for for family gatherings and all of those occasions. So we really don't have much of a choice. <laughs> so whatever cake she has to offer, that's what we have. And right now, we're having a lot of those strawberry shortcakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Strawberry shortcakes and sometimes cheesecakes. And another thing these days is like the, um, like a chocolate cake in a tin can. Yeah.
2: That's the trend nowadays. Yeah, that's the
1: trend. Like baked in the can? Yeah, baked in a a small round can. Parang
0: Boston brown bread? Parang something like that? You know, Boston brown bread, they bake it. It's like a dense, like molasses bread. And
1: then they they bake it. Probably but you also eat it out of the can. Ah, interesting. Uh, so it's baked <laughs> in the can, and then that's where you get the slice of it. So when you buy it, it's in a tin can. It's like uh, one of those uh, popular cakes these days.
2: Well, in my case, um, it's the, chi- the chiffon cake. Um, you know, the chiffon cake, The it's, it's the first cake ever that I've uh, learned how to bake. My aunt uh, taught me how to do that. I like it plain and un-frosted. Um And we sometimes we're okay now with when we serve it with soft drinks like Royal to Orange. That's how so we that's, eat that. Yeah that's the and partner then, the cake. yeah and then i re- it's 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 memorable for me also because we came across this um the, chi- the chiffon cake actually in in bicol i really remember that there's this bakery that makes all these uh plain chiffon cakes that's lined up in in, in, the, in the counter with the uh, tube pans and all that and then it has, a, it has a cultural significance, actually, in Filipino food, eh, in Filipino culture. Um, if you ha- before, before the advent of all these frosted classic chocolate cakes in a tin can, you had the chiffon cake. It's plain. It's unfrosted. You serve it on a birthday, just like that. If, if you have that on your birthday, along with the pansip and the sandwich loaf, the white bread, which you use as palaman, the pansip is the palaman, happy kana you're you're bonga na you're 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 rich because you have that cake already so that that chiffon cake gives you uh, both a sense of um ano na, yung status hey i have i have chiffon cake i'm rich so it it make, makes the celebration more festive
0: yeah exactly it's such a big oh, part um I love that. That's such a great way to kind of, like, end the the conversation because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's kind of um, a a reason to gather with people to celebrate and to, like, share. Like, I mean, these are are foods that you don't just eat by yourself. Like, I mean, you do, but, like, you go there, you
1: buy it because you want to be able to share it then um, with others.
0: Maybe it's the comfort of carbs that have just really been calling out to me over the past year. I've honestly spent more time in the kitchen over the last 12 months than I ever have in my adult life. And that's saying something, because I already like to cook to begin with, and it's just crazy to think that, I don't know, it's been like a year since all of our lives have changed so quickly. And within that time, I guess, probably also like many of you, I've tried a couple of new recipes, you know, stuff I found online, on Instagram, and I like most of them, including a few really good recipes for Filipino dishes that I've never made before. One of those recipes is a recipe for gising gising. It's a, a dish of pork simmered in coconut milk and shrimp paste. And it's so easy and so good. I don't really know why I haven't been making this before. I guess it's just not something that my family in particular used to eat a lot. And now I'm happy to know about it. And that's thanks to Amelia Ramp, who is an editor at The Kitchen. That's The Kitchen without the E. (laughs) Easily one of the most popular food blogs that's made the biggest impact on my life. Honestly... Someone who's just obsessed about kitchens and everything that happens in it. Thanks to The Kitchen, the blog, I've learned how to be super good friends with my sheet pans, for example. <laughs> I paid $12 a pop for each of them, and I use it for dinner more than anything else. Sheet pan dinners are the best. Thanks to The Kitchen, I've learned to meal plan and to budget and how to like squeeze like every last bit of air out of a Ziploc freezer bag that... If you open my freezer any day, literally, you're going to find at least a couple of bags of frozen vegetables and probably some single size servings of sinigang or Tenoala. I found the perfect ratio to one cup of soup to a cup and a half of, like, meat and vegetables. Fits perfectly in a medium bag. Anyway, back in October, Amelia published a series of recipes on the kitchen called A Beginner's Guide to Philippinex Cooking where her recipe for and geeseing was. And she has this lovely essay that's on there, which I totally recommend everyone to read. It's about her journey to bringing the foods and the culture of the Philippines, where she lived as a child,
4: to her dinner table, which today is in New York City. Hi, my name is Amelia Ramp. I'm a food editor and food stylist out of Brooklyn, New York. I'm the studio food editor at The Kitchen. One of the things I feel like is really been that's still like quite unknown as far as like the American audience is concerned is how special Filipino desserts are and Filipino pastries um, and how there is just like this vast array of different types of desserts that we eat. Um, some of my Best memories growing up are my mom taking me to the bakeries, and I get to buy a mocha roll and suman or hopia or ensamada, and these were all like things that are ingrained in like my nostalgic feelings of my childhood. Um, and I still try to make these items to these de- to this day in my own home. So I've I've made ensamada, I've made mung bean hopia. That's like something that's really one of my favorite things is hopia. Uh, and yeah, when I was in the Philippines, it was important for me to try the pandasol. We would always buy the store-bought pandasol um, and I'd love to toast it and put some butter on it. Um, and it loved that like sweetness, like it's like the sweet dinner roll, right? Um, and when I went to the Philippines, I was just we would be driving around when we would see like a sign flashing 24-hour pandesal. And I, was, I had no idea that that's how it was. Um, and so it was really exciting to like walk into the panateria and get a fresh, hot roll. Um, and that's really like a very special, like that bite, that warm bite, the sweetness. It's, it's so good. Um, And just like people in the
0: 70s flipped for the hot pundacel craze, I think that, I don't know, that level of satisfaction that you get for just stepping into a bakery and taking in the sights and the smells and then just biting into a freshly baked pundacel. Nothing just compares, and I don't think anything ever will. I can only imagine the experience of walking into a bakery that, is like one of the holy grails right now, in the Philippines at least. It's called Panaderia Toyo, and it's run by Jordi Navarra and his team as an extension of their restaurant, which is the widely acclaimed Toyo Eatery in Makati. That's listed as one of the world's 50 best. And
4: When I went to Toyo Eatery uh, was to see kind of how Filipino food has evolved um, Jordi does such a beautiful job. His his food really like brought me to tears, truly, um, to see our food. He uses indigenous practices in modern cuisine, um, and I really appreciate that, coming from an indigenous, being an indigenous person from the Philippines. Um, seeing those ancient practices, those old ways of cooking, be incorporated into modern fine dining. And what he is doing is very special. Um, He's, Jordy was a wonderful person to meet. He not only fed us this amazing meal, but he really opened his his restaurant home to me and my husband he invited us back to the panaderia the next day to try the pandasol to talk to me about how they make sourdough and when we arrived he presented us with this amazing lunch spread um, and I still think I was full from the dinner from the toyo the night before and and he just sat with us and and shared um, the method. Behind the sourdough making, how they felt um, that this was the truest form of pandasol based on the fact that 500 years ago we didn't have store bought yeast. So we had to make pandasol from a fermented uh, sourdough base. Um, and I loved the tang that came through and like really balanced well with the sweetness. Um, it's just a different delicious version of the regular pandesal we were buying throughout the Philippines. Um, just had that like tangy sourdough quality. And everything at the bakery was well executed, beautifully done. And I truly believe it's because Jordi is such a thoughtful uh, chef who puts a lot of like love into his cooking. I really had his sourdough pandasol in mind when I created my sourdough discard pandasol recipe. Um, when the quarantine happened, you know, in the United States, there was this kind of boom for sourdough. Like everybody is now making sourdough because we're all in quarantine and we can, we have the time to like make a starter and, and let it ferment. So. I had all this excess sourdough discard from trying to make my my sourdough starter, which is I now think is dead in the back of my fridge but I would take the discard and even though it's not like a true sourdough recipe where I where I feed uh, my starter and then let the dough ferment with it I did use the discard as just kind of like let's not waste this this precious discard um, let's put it into the the rolls and hopefully try to achieve a little bit of that tang that Jordi has in his
0: i am so craving a bakery treat i mean we've been talking about this food for like over an hour <laughs> if you're still here thank you so much for sticking and i promise you're in for a treat next we chat with tina de las reyes who you can find online and on socials at egg marks the spot we first met over email and, within like a couple of messages, basically established this common love, which kind of borders on reverence, for, uh, for Harold McGee's On Food and Cooking, which is a classic book, and uh, everything that has to do with Alton Brown. Alton Brown, he did a show called Good Eats on the Food Network for 14 seasons, starting in 99, and like the best of the rule breakers, he did a lot of stuff that no one else did. I don't know. I guess like I think of like different kinds of foods that I like to make in kind of that style when he has that scene where he opens the oven door and the they have like a camera sort of like built into the back of the oven wall. I always thought that was really cool because that was one of the first shows that I remember seeing that in. And they were kind of the pioneer of those types of like um of food shows of documentary style shows that had like little cameras poked into you know, the backs of fridges and backs of ovens. And anyway, <laughs> so all of that is to say, I'm really interested in what happens in the oven when when Enzaimada and other baked goods come out. So I thought of reaching out to Tina and we'll get to ask her more about that.
5: I'm so excited. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Tina. I run a blog called Egg Marks the Spot. It's sort of a pun on X marks the spot. <laughs> so, kind of paying homage to, you know, Filipino dad jokes. But I'm really excited to come here and talk about what's going on inside your ensamada as it pops in the oven.
0: So the first question I'm going to ask you is what is actually your favorite panaderia treat? Um, so what do you what do you like getting at the the Filipino bakeries in your area?
5: Yeah, so insomata actually is my absolute favorite. (laughs) I have a long backstory with it of, um, you know, being bullied as a kid for packing it for lunch or as my merienda. And so I think as an adult, I really kind of latched onto it as something that I saw as like food and my identity. So I yeah, I'm I mean, I'm not even joking. It's my absolute favorite thing.
0: <laughs> but like what was what was the thing in school though? Like would kids like make fun of like the cheese or
5: like Yeah. Isn't that so fun? So I grew up in Torrance or Carson. There's a lot of Filipinos there, but I went to school in a, a predominantly white area. And so my mom would pack me at my normal Filipino lunch, which in hindsight is awesome that I had adobo wrapped in foil every day, but you know, I had this Enzimata with me that I packed from Goldilocks or something. And these, this girl, I still remember her name. She came up and was like, ew, why do you have cheese on your cupcake? And then like, like in a sitcom or something called everyone over and was like, look at what Tina's eating. And then they all like kind of came around me and like, ew, why would you have cheese on a cupcake? I think that was the first moment where I realized that not everyone around me was Filipino. (laughs) <laughs> so I kind of feel like I got a little bit bullied in that moment and I, I felt like I was different and so now as an adult you know the older I got the more I kind of latched on to Enseimada as this kind of like reminder of my identity so it's, it's kind of a weird deep connection with a bread
0: <laughs> yeah well no yeah totally I mean that's the whole magic of, of baked goods really um I grew up really loving, like, mass-market-produced ensaimadas. Um, on my mom's way home from work, uh, from this central station in Makati in Manila, one of the stalls there was an ensaimada shop, and so she would, like, regularly come home with ensaimada, but sometimes it would be, like, squished because she would just, like, stuff it into her bag with, like, all this other stuff. <laughs> and so, like, my, my love for ensaimada is probably I'd say about like half of half of the enzimadas that I ate were like good fluffy ones but the other half were like kind of squished ones that I would have to like nuke in the microwave for a few seconds just to kind of get the cheese melty and, and all that but I'm actually also going to ask like how what's your experience with actually making enzymada?
5: Oh yeah I've uh, <laughs> made a lot of enzimada in the last two months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like actually like just this year?
5: (laughs) Just this year. So I'd made it, you know, I'd made it before and the way I guess it, I would describe the process if people had made cinnamon rolls. I know that was a craze at the start of the pandemic. It's almost kind of like that, but it is definitely a little bit different. But yeah, in the last two months, I was trying to come up with my own ensamada recipe, and then I did a sort of bake-along tutorial with Goldilocks using their recipe. Um, and then, yeah, I think I've probably made over 200 ensamada that I've been trying to give away <laughs> over the last two months. Because <laughs> there's yeah. only two of us in my house. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, honestly,
0: like, that's the the great thing about baked goods. Like, you ha- you you really have to share them like they're not something that you kind of hoard to yourself. Really,
5: <laughs> can
0: you walk us through the recipe that you made? Like,
5: yeah. So the I guess the more traditional recipe, the, the recipe I have developed kind of involves a, a tangzhong method, which is this sort of Chinese method where you pre-cook some of the flour and it retains more moisture in the long term. So immediately it's kind of like a normal ensamata, but it stays a little bit longer. And the goal for that was to just be able to mail it to friends and stuff during the pandemic. Cause I don't have the, you know, factory and preservative capabilities of of a big time bakery or anything. So I had to come up with a a different hack. But the more traditional ones that I think people will be familiar with, you start by making a very, what we call an enriched dough so when we say enriched, it's, it goes beyond flour and water and yeast. It means you introduce some sort of fat. And in the case of ensamada, there's actually a, a couple of sources for that. So it's the evaporated milk and the butter. There's fat in both of those that really contribute to, to how delicious it is in the long-term. So you'll combine the, the, those ingredients. It's the evaporated milk, water, and then some melted butter as well as your yeast and you'll let your least yeast bloom so you want to make sure your yeast are alive and you didn't get so, you know bad packet or something otherwise you'll go through all the work and then there'll be little flat pancakes that pop out of you that's a good point <laughs> sure. so you bloom your yeast and you've got your wet mixture and then you kind of mix your flour together with you know the sugar and whatever other dry ingredients that your particular recipe might call for And then you'll mix the wet and the dry. And so it's actually pretty easy to do. The hard part comes when you start kneading it. So (laughs) because it is an enriched dough, there's actually a process that ends up happening where the, the fat kind of coats around the yeast and it kind of stops it from developing with also all of the proteins that are in your bread. So there is protein in bread. It's called gluten, and that's like a four-letter word now, but um, but if you have fat involved, the gluten doesn't really wanna develop. So something like an ensamada will take, I mean, even up to 10 minutes in a stand mixer even. So if you're doing it by hand, it's gonna take you a really long time. Yeah.
0: This kind of goes into a conversation about um, baking in the Philippines versus baking elsewhere where you have different temperatures and different altitudes and stuff to think about, um, is that the the fermentation time or the, actually, is it right to call it fermentation time? Like yeah. rising time, it's that's basically the same thing, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely, that's totally right. So fermentation is just the process of the yeast eating the sugars and then the byproducts are alcohol and carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide are the little pockets of air and that's how it gets all fluffy. And then the alcohol actually kind of contributes to that flavor. That's right. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, just because I, I was reviewing the um, the recipe for uh, panaderia style ensaymada and I believe this recipe has three rises. The instructions here say, uh, you know, you mix the active dry yeast with warm water and let that uh, sit. And then the next step refers to it
5: um, as the sponge. I love this. This might even be like a, a Filipino baking term that they may, they maybe use a little bit differently, but it makes, it makes perfect sense. So in their recipe, they you just mix the water with the flour and you let it sit for a couple of hours.
0: And this process, as Tina describes, she's got a background in biotech too, so I trust her to explain this stuff. This process is called using the autolyse method, that's A-U-T-O-L-Y-S-E, very scientific sounding, but actually something that's a lot more common than what most of us
5: even think. Essentially, in the, the bread making world, you kind of gently mix the water and the yeast or whatever, your starter and the, the flour, and you kind of let it rest for a little bit without too much, you're not really even needing it yet. And by doing that, you're just allowing it to hydrate better. You know, all the ingredients are kind of meeting each other. The yeast can kind of start developing. And this is all happening without you even needing to touch it yet. Um, So this is really common. Like when we make sourdough bread, we do an hour-long auto-lease. So that's what this sponge section kind of reminds me of is that you're going to mix these all together and let it hydrate. which. For an enriched dough is really important. You have to develop the gluten and get the bread kind of going before you put the fat in. Because once you put the fat in, the structure, it's a lot harder to develop a structure and and arguably like impossible to get it at the same level unless you develop it before adding the fat.
0: The appeal of gifting a box of baked goods to someone, especially in the West, very much has this this like love connotation or appeal to it um and not romantic love but like i mean it could be too (laughs) but more just like that it's the love and the care that goes into it whether it's a box of cupcakes or a box of cookies or a box of ensaimada i don't know does it sound just weird for me to say that it's kind of like soul fulfilling too (laughs)
5: No, that's not weird. I mean, it is, it's, it like feeds my soul to bake. Like I think I, during quarantine have baked every single day, even if it's like 20 minutes to bake a batch of cookies or something. um, It really does feed your soul. It's like very nourishing. And, you know, if we keep talking about how to make ensaymada, you'll get to this point in the recipe where you have to like roll it and coil it. And it's very almost meditative. Like you're doing this repetitive task and you're, like, feeling the dough. I'm, like, closing my eyes. <laughs> like, I really love that experience.
0: Finally, we chat with my friend Maria, who runs an online big shop called Amusing Maria. You'll have to follow her on Instagram and visit her blog for the recipes. She's got all kinds of cakes and cookies and rolls that just, I don't know, tug at my butter-filled heart. <laughs> so I asked her about her favorite panaderia treat. Which turns out to also be a family favorite of Amy's, which she mentioned earlier. I asked too, like, why it's an essential addition to the gift boxes that people from across the US have been getting through her website and the blog, with consistent five star ratings.
3: Hi, I'm Maria and my bake shop is called Amusing Maria. I started my small batch home baking business in November 2019 and so far my best selling products are Ube Makapono cookies and Ube Crinkles. However, my favorite among all the products I sell is Pan de Coco. It's like the underdog and it doesn't get much attention. Maybe Ube is having its time in the limelight or coconut bread is just too common or simple for those who know what it is or maybe non-Filipinos aren't familiar with Pan de Coco. I still choose to include it because it's a classic no-frills panaderia bread with lots of flavor and texture. The challenging part of making pandecoco is filling the bread dough. Each roll needs to be full of coconut so it's harder to seal the dough. And my favorite part of making pandecoco is cooking the filling and baking the bread. The kitchen smells like coconut. It's so delicious. It's like I'm in an actual panaderia waiting for my brown paper bag full of pan pandecoco, sal, or ensaymada. Baking at least one of the panaderia breads and being able to share it with others is wonderful.
0: As always, my warmest, sincerest thanks really go out to all our guests for this episode. To Amy and Jenny who are the authors of this book that kind of started it all, really. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your journey with us. To me, it really means a lot. And safe to say, I hope that it's inspired not just myself, but a number of listeners to explore the fascinating world that lives in Filipino bakery kitchens. To Amelia Ramp, Tina de los Reyes, and my friend Maria, thanks for sharing your stories. Theme music for this episode is by David Seste, with segment music by Eric and McGill, Blue Dot Sessions, and Podington Bear. All the links to the stuff we've talked about today, they're going to be in the show notes, so please check that out. You'll find that on the website, too, at ExploringFilipinoKitchens.com, and, as before, do follow the show on Instagram because, honestly, it's the place where you can probably reach me the easiest, and I think that's where a lot of people also discover the show so if you do find this on instagram and you like it and you think you know someone else who would enjoy it i'd really appreciate if you tagged them and until next time when we explore another aspect of filipino cooking and food culture maraming salamat and thank you so much for listening